Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey, and joining me, our co-host, Mel. Mel, we have an incredible interview today with a lady that, wow, I can't believe we got connected to her. Her name's Allison Cook. I love this interview. This was such a good interview. I'm telling you, we could probably do 25 to 30 more interviews with her, and it wouldn't get old. I hope she comes back. Well, actually, we, back. we are going to bring her back for sure. And in fact, we bring her back for a bonus episode. So just a little teaser. She is a bonus episode for our $5 a month partners. It was so rich, the things that she was talking about. Let me tell you how we got connected to her. She um, actually wrote in, she had been a listener of the podcast, which blew my mind because um, of the things that she is doing. And she was really uh, she's been blessed and, and impressed by the stuff that we're doing, but she's like the professional, all of this. So it was very humbling to me um, because she's a, a, you know, she's a licensed therapist. She's a counselor. Yeah. She helps people as they're navigating different things in their life from a certified license perspective, but she's also co-authored a book called Boundaries for the Soul. Mel, have you ever read uh, the series Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend? You know what? It's actually on my book bookshelf. Like it's on my list and I've recommended it, but I haven't read it yet. I want to so bad. Oh, Have you man. read it? They're so good. So yeah, Boundaries, the regular one is a must read for everybody. I've read that one. I usually suggest that to people a lot, especially from a pastoral context. If people are struggling with relationships with other people and how to set boundaries, that's such a hot topic right now anyways, with all the work that Brene Brown is doing and people are tuning into that. Um, but then there's also boundaries for leaders. There's, you know, boundaries, one-on-one boundaries. There's all kinds, this whole series. But what happened is that um, Allison Cook and her co-author were doing some research and they went to John Townsend. They said, Hey, I think there's like a, there's like a precursor to the boundaries that you guys are talking about. And that's boundaries within yourself, boundaries for your mm-hmm. soul. John Townsend and Henry Cloud were so impressed with the work that they had been doing and the therapy that they had been doing, the method of therapy they had been doing. They said, yes, you should write a book on this, call it boundaries for the soul. Let it be kind of a, almost like a, a prequel to the, oh, no the boundary series. And so then she does this, they release this book, they, they reach out to us and say, <laughs> we love what you guys are doing on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast and just literally encouraged us. And I was like, uh, I kind of look into all of this stuff. I'm going, wait a minute, you need to come and share what you're yes. doing with us because this is going to be helpful to so many people. And it's specifically mm-hmm. helpful around this idea of uh, learning how to have emotional vocabulary. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up because um, last summer, I think it was, I just read all of Brene Brown's books and it was like a summer of <laughs> like free a binge counseling. Reading there. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I like my journal was full of like all these self revelations. I'm like, oh my goodness, it was so good. But one of the things that I feel like Brene talks about pretty often is how limited our emotional vocabulary is. And even. Right in America, it's like you can be happy, you can be sad, you can be angry, and then we kind of just cut it off right there. That's it. Exactly. Um, But there's shame and there's guilt and there's grief. I mean, there's so many emotions um, that I even think Brene said, we need to get um, our baseline to be about 30 emotions, Mm. our emotional vocab. And I feel like Allison really touched on that. And Yeah. Can you um, imagine that? Can you imagine having 30 different 
descriptors for what you're feeling. I don't think I have 30 different descriptors for what I'm feeling. It would take and a lot of work for me to do that. you are a big old feeler. <laughs> Imagine me. I'm a thinker. I'm like, okay, let's not get crazy. <laughs> 10 is a really solid number. You're like, I can only think of 10. That's it. My yes. brain. <laughs> don't make me feel any more than that. I no. know. It, well, and you know, I was reading something and, you know, say what you will about mm. um, Tony Robbins. It, you know, it's like eat the fish and spit out the bones kind of thing. But right. one of the things that he said in a book I was reading by, by him uh, is, about this emotional vocabulary is that even if you if you change the vocabulary around what you're feeling, you you, you begin to change the feeling a little bit too. If you provide a, a much mm-hmm. more accurate descriptor for what you're feeling instead of lumping it into this massive general category of anger, so to speak, it actually begins to channel whatever you're feeling into a more acute version of what that is and a more accurate version of what that is. And and I think there's just I something see that, totally. to um, this emotional vocabulary. I mean, so much so that we've got like a, 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 like a feelings wheel. I know we've talked about this before. We have like a feelings wheel that we will often, an exercise we'll do with our kids and, and we'll help them to kind of describe, how are you feeling today? How did this make you feel? And they've got little faces on it and they try to put <laughs> those faces into it. That's adorable. It. I know. It's like the first step to helping them with with that. What do you guys, do you find that with your kids uh, on how you're trying to help them to explain their emotions or are they just adopting mom's headspace? That's it. Just thinker. No, my, my daughters, especially they are big feelers and, um, they are very good express ex, at expressing their feelings. I mean, if somebody takes a toy, she'll say, Sadie took my toy and that makes me angry. <laughs> I don't know if Daniel Tiger has had some influence, Daniel but- Tiger. He is so so good for little kids and building their emotional vocabulary. He's like the Brene Brown for kids. (laughs) That's exactly what he is. You know, that was Daniel Tiger was a a spinoff or like the, it's like the modern version of Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities. It's a, I love Mr. Rogers, but Daniel Tiger is a lot less creepy <laughs> in the Mr. Rogers show. Creepy, when you go back and watch it, you're like, that's a little bit creepy. I can't believe we really loved this show <laughs> with the puppets well, and all that. We we watch a lot of Daniel Tiger in our house. And one thing that's really funny is, you know, they're tigers. And right. I saw this meme floating around one time and it was like, why does Daniel Tiger and his house have tiger curtains in the background? Like, that's a little disturbing, that's don't you true. think? That's true. That's absolutely true. And I'm already not a Tiger fan at all in general because my favorite football team is Alabama Crimson Tide College Football and the arch enemy is the Auburn Tigers. Uh, and over okay. the past few years, the arch enemy has been the Clemson Tigers because we keep playing them in the playoffs and stuff. So not a fan of the Tigers. Love Daniel Tiger though. Love Daniel duly, Tiger. Duly noted. <laughs> well, one thing that Allison says too in this interview. Thanks, Mel. Um, Bring it back around to Allison. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for you, Davey. I'm here Thank for you. you. Thank you. Um, one thing that I found um, particularly beneficial is um, she was talking about a change agent and she was mm. saying um, nobody changes based on fear and I have, or shame or guilt. And I've noticed that so much. Um, she says that. Um, and well, she's talking about boundaries for your soul. So right. she's talking about giving yourself compassion, giving yourself grace and kindness. But I feel like that is so helpful even in my parenting is that when mm. I want to um, help my kids grow or change that, um, you know, telling them, why can't you pee on the potty for the mil- millionth <laughs> time is not helpful. But when I step into um, the situation and I empathize and I um, extend mm. compassion that there's so much quicker to go on the potty next time. Right. 
Right. That is fascinating. We've been struggling recently with Weston on that exact topic. Really? Oh, absolutely. He's still, I mean, he's almost five years old. He's still, actually at the time of this release, it will be three days away from his five-year-old birthday, July 28th, his five-year-old birthday. Oh, so sweet. And he still is struggling with peeing in his pants. But I've just noticed recently that if I kind of, instead of like, correcting these things from this really black and white perspective, if I just enter into that space and kind of ask him about like, what's going on, you know, and try to really empathize with him and even give him language for this. I noticed the very next day after I tried this exercise, it it was like remarkable. It was a miracle. He was not only going to the bathroom in the potty, he was also, isn't it funny how as parents we say potty, right? I know, right? (laughs) He was going to the bathroom. He went to the bathroom. In in the toilet, but he was was also excited about it. It's like Mm. he... He was like excited that he was pleasing us because there was this like emotional connection that was preemptive in in the in the whole thing. And so I mean Such maybe it just goes to show that whole adage rules without relationship leads to rebellion in the relationship aspect of things is kind of what we're talking about here. It's really understanding your own emotions. So then you can then you can step in and help and empathize with other people's emotions and know how those things those things interact. And yeah. And I just, I love that this is helping the yourself, like the boundaries for your soul is it's not necessarily dealing with other setting boundary lines for other right. people, but it honestly reminds me of when, you know, when you get on the airplane and they're like, in case of uh, a plane crash, <laughs> please put the oxygen mask yeah. on your first, bef- on yourself first before assisting exactly. other people. And so I really feel like this is what Allison really touches on all throughout exactly this podcast. Right. And whether or not you think you've been exposed, probably if you've seen this movie, you've been exposed to the type of therapy that she does, that she practices, because this type of therapy was characterized, uh, I guess you could say in a caricature, um, in the movie Inside Out. I love that movie. It is so cute. It's such a great movie, but this is exactly what this type of therapy does to help bring language to your... um, to your emotions. And so if you've ever seen Inside Out, think about that movie and kind of think about the personification of your emotions into little characters and how to name those things and, and put them in rightful places. And this is what Allison is talking about in this interview. It's, it's awesome. It's incredible. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And it's also um, one of the perks of being a $10 month monthly partner with us is that you will have access to the whole video that's that, right. um, of the interview that she does with us. That's right. So you actually see Allison and I, this was actually a remote call, but you see us on video talking to each other. You can go to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and you can go sign up to be a $10 a month partner and um, get access to these videos. We're going to begin releasing more of these videos as we, as we go out. We've got most of them most of the episodes from here on out, but um, some of those won't be available. Most of them are available. So go to nothingiswasted.com slash partners. And while you're doing that, make sure you go and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Um, we would love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear your, your review. We love reading those. It encourages us. Follow us on Instagram, Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. We're always having some behind the scenes, some giveaways. We've still got more books that we're probably going to give away here at some point soon. Ooh, ooh. I know. <laughs> It's always a good day when you're giving away books. Just sharing the love, sharing the love. So make sure you go do all that stuff. Um, and if you have any questions, email us, hello at nothingiswasted.com. Hello at nothingiswasted.com. We love to serve you in any way possible.
Davey, I feel like joy in the movie Inside and Out getting to <laughs> share this episode with all of our listeners. So uh, enjoy this episode. You're going to love it. And um, here is Allison's interview. Allison, so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, well, tell me a little bit about you. I've got my hands on this book that you guys have written, and I'm thrilled to talk about this. But let's just get a little bit of insight into Allison Cook's life. Yes. Well, I am. My life right now is in Boston or outside of Boston. Oh, I'm so um, jealous. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I did not grow up here. I'm not a Boston native. I'm actually from uh, a small town in Wyoming. I'm one of the very rare um, people who can claim that state as their home state, but yeah. I've lived here now for most of my adult life. Okay. Um, so, and I have, my husband's here. Uh, our two kids are here. They're both um, teenagers. So we're kind of in that season wow. of launching. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, we've yeah. actually launched one for the most part, and then we're getting ready to launch the second. Wow. Um, That's so fun. So, what a yeah. fun season. And also probably um, a nerve-wracking season for sure. <laughs> it's busy. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's so interesting when you talk to parents Every, you know, when they're little, it's a different kind of busy. Mm -hmm. And then it, the older they get, it's a, it's just, it's different, but still busy. All right. Um, so coming from someone who has a four and a five-year-old and, right? then, and then a bun in the <laughs> oven, right? Did you know yeah. this, Allison? Did you know that we're pregnant? I think I might wow. have seen something like that on Instagram. That's amazing. Yeah, we're really excited. So coming from someone on that side of the, of the perspective, right. help me understand how it's different. How is it different? I'm just curious. Well, I love it. I love teenagers. I always yeah. have. So I, I love it. It kind of depends. Different people, you know, you know, as I've come to know different moms, they, they love different seasons. Right. Um, it's a lot more driving until they get their license <laughs> or until they can do that on their own. So there's just a lot more chauffeuring. Yeah. But the, the, um, because they just are busy. There's so right. many activities. There's so many things to do. And the benefit of that is it's great talk time. Yeah, it's what you're in the car. You that I mean, honestly, that we're we're mm. my husband and I the other night we're like, do we really want to get her a car? Because this is when we really get that precious wow time to hear about the day. Um, but on the other hand, it's like I spend hours in the day, you know, driving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of that, and then just a lot of I'm just amazed by what's expected of kids these days oh, at I know. school. <sighs> I look at their homework, and I'm like, I was doing stuff like this in graduate school. Right. Right. Um, so they they have a lot of pressures on them, just from a lot of fronts. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot of kind of higher, you know, higher order conversations you're having and nuances, and um, you really realize your own boy. I better be on top of my own stuff because they yep. see it now. Right. And, right. Um, but yeah. it's a lot of fun too. It's a lot of fun. They become. You're kind of launching them to be more peers and you kind of, it's mm -hmm. an, it's a funny stage where you realize, wow, you know, I'm looking at you going, you actually know more about this than I do at this point. Right. So <laughs> I need to acknowledge that. That's a scary that. thought too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It is yeah. the teenagers, you know, I've spent some time youth pastoring and yeah. then for a while as a pastor, we had youth, youth ministry. And so we were kind of popping in and out of there and interacting with teenagers. My wife still has a handful of teenagers that she pours into. I've got a couple yeah. of them that I pour into and they are facing some tremendous pressures that are yeah. different than when I was growing up, when you were growing up. You've got the, the social pressure 
uh, yeah. with this whole idea, you know, social media as the one of the yeah. major driving forces of this thing, and it's yeah. just it's crazy. You also have got, you know, from from an athletic perspective and the extracurricular activities and schoolwork, they are just going nuts. It is yeah. go go go. There's no downtime, yeah. which I'm sure contributes yeah. to all kinds of emotional duress, all kinds. I mean, this is yeah. anxiety, depression. Even yeah. suicide is on the rise because of a lot of this stuff. It's just a tough... I mean, I sit here and I'm like, do we want to raise our kids in this world? Like, I don't know if yeah. I... But yeah. you're telling me that there are some... There, you're, there, there is good seasons of this that if you... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you just got to know it's your reassuring. kid. Yeah. You know, you got to know your kid and you, each kid, you know, it's so different. If I tried to overlay my teenagers onto theirs, it just doesn't hold up because mm. it's just so different. There's enough of a gap between us um, as far as, you know, just so, like you said, the social media, the, what technology has allowed them to be able to do. Even right. just things like the SAT. I remember the days when we showed up. I just showed up and like with a pencil and like, I didn't know what it was. I didn't practice for it. I just took the <laughs> test, you know, and now they like prep for it and, you know, just take oh, it, you know, time and time again, that kind of stuff. So, but you got to know your kid. And that, right. that's what I've really learned. Each kid is different and each kid has different needs and each kid has different challenges. But when you meet them in those challenges and you just walk, just kind of get down and you know, from being a youth pastor, you get to where they are. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is what's important to you, whether you like it or not, yeah. you know, this is, I see that this is important to you. Let's find the good in it. Right. Let's, let's negotiate it through here mm. because you're equipping them, you know, for life, for lifelong skills. Yep. But the biggest thing is kind of stepping outside of your own idea of what they should or, you know, and right. just kind of just seeing them as they are and meeting them in that and helping them negotiate whatever it is that's important to them. Wow. Um, that's great. So it definitely takes some dexterity. It's a whole different kind of parenting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll call we'll call you up in 10 years too sure. and figure <laughs> figure out on the other side of things. <laughs> you can you give us a lot of good it. advice when we're in the middle of it. So you're, yeah. you know, a mom, which which takes full time uh, for moms, but also you're 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 a PhD. You have what else do you do as far as like profession? Tell me more about your life right yeah. now. Yeah. So I work part-time as a counselor. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been great you know, with the kids, I kind of do that part-time. And then I was doing the writing, which I can do from home. I can mm -hmm. do whenever I want to do it. And as the kids are getting launched, it's also great that I have a lot more of my own things right. to venture into. I also kind of encourage moms as they're to kind of look ahead to when your kids will need less mm -hmm. of you so that you prepare for that. And dads too. Um, but yeah, so I do a part-time counseling practice, a lot of writing. And then right now I'm just doing a lot of training on two levels or, or um, sort of workshops and speaking both for counselors and ministry leaders um, and coaches and pastors to kind of get this approach out that we're so passionate about around how to deal with emotions. Mm. Um, because it's a it's a an approach that really applies right in any setting right um, even to kids um, so I'm doing a lot more of that kind of thing now that mm. the book is out um, wow. which has been really fun just meeting a lot of great people and working with a lot of different 
neat ministries across the country. Yeah. Well, it's an incredible topic. I'm so excited that Mm -hmm. we get to have a conversation with you about this because I think it's going to benefit our listeners so much because this idea of befriending your emotions, getting to know your emotions, understanding your emotions, what to do with your emotions is something that I would say, you know, 15, 20 years ago was not something that was talked about. And we're seeing a lot of, or at least not as much as what we are now talking about it probably because of an epidemic of mental health issues. And that's a major conversation right now. And so I'm sure even as a counselor, you find yourself swamped. But in this book, it's called Boundaries for Your Soul. You begin to dive into this topic. So tell me a little bit about the book. What was the inspiration behind that for you? And um, and how did this this kind of come about? Well, you you just kind of nailed it is... I personally really grew up still in that era, especially in the church, where we didn't really talk about mm. emotions. And so I really personally was on a quest to understand myself and understand my, I felt like I knew a lot about God and I loved God and I, I'd been raised in a Christian home and I um, wanted to follow God. And I I knew I needed to serve other people and I, I had a natural serving instinct. I enjoyed helping people. That counselor part of me has certainly been there for a long time. But I had no clue how to understand myself. Mm. And I do agree with you. There's been sort of a surge in sort of these this need to know yourself right. um, and, and different tools for doing that in the last maybe, I don't know, five to 10 years. Um, but for me, it was still, when I was in graduate school, really... Um, wrestling, part part of my studies where I studied counseling and then I went on to study psychology and and really psychology was talking about, you know, um, I don't know, statistics and numbers and and it was just, it was like, this isn't connecting with my soul. Yeah. Um, and then, so then I was starting, my degree is actually in religion and psychology. I thought, well, religion is talking about God and how we relate to God, mm. but I'm still kind of trying to figure out me. And so it was kind of right in the midst of that. I had a little bit of a, I would say a burnout phase Mm. of three years where I essentially kind of stepped out of. And, and as God, um, you know, does through that, I just started to learn a lot more about myself. But in the midst of that, I was introduced to this approach that we write about in the book. And it's an approach that's a popular, one of the fastest growing models of therapy, um, and it's spiritual in nature, mm. which is unusual in that it's not Christian, but there's there's a real emphasis in this approach that we are spiritual beings that have an innate bent toward healing. Mm. And just as the body is, is sort of inclined toward healing, given the right um, soil and, you know, just the right ways it, it, it can heal itself, so can the soul to some degree. Mm. And it, so this approach kind of builds on that and it just really clicked in with me and worked. And so, but it wasn't Christian. And so my, my co-author and I, Kim, were like, we need to figure out how to integrate this with Christian faith and practice yeah. because this, this is a tool that people in the church need. Yeah. And so that started about a decade ago. We started teaching on it. We started doing retreats all over the country. And then we started out of that. We, we connected with John Townsend, um, and we talked about how this is sort of the precursor work. It's hard to set boundaries with p- 
people in your life interpersonally or your kids or your, if you don't really know what's going on inside of you first, and that's kind of where we get in trouble is we just, you know, we don't, we're not dealing with ourselves. So then we just lash out or whatever. And he, he totally agreed. And so that's where we, we kind of zoomed in on that interior work that needs to go on inside of you to get clear about your thoughts and feelings so that you can have healthier relationships with others and with God. Wow. For those of you guys who are listening, you don't, you're maybe not familiar with who John Townsend is. He wrote the book Boundaries and then several other books, you know, follow-ups from that, Boundaries for Leaders. And, uh, but he was a part of that with Henry Cloud, right? They're yeah. two together. We're, we're writing, wrote that together. And so what you've done, Allison, is you've said, okay, let's there's a there's a prequel. There's like a first step, yes. yeah. understanding ourselves first before we can really let that play out with other people. I love this because you know we we teach a lot that it's our vertical relationship with God that has to play out horizontally. But there's a step in between. You know, it's you see in Isaiah six, you see Isaiah, he sees the Lord for who he is, and then in the light of the Lord, he sees himself. Yes for who he is. And then that turns around into his relationship with others. When God says, Hey, who will I send to go out and do ministry? He's like, he, he's like, Hey, I'll, I'll go. But it wasn't until he understood himself that he got some of that proper healing from his brokenness that he recognized that he was able to be effective in ministry to people outside of it. And I love what you're talking about here because what you're talking about is this mixture of science and Christianity, essentially mm-hmm. the science of psychology mm-hmm. and how we operate our mind and our, and you know, and our emotions, and Christianity, which so many people will say science and Christianity are, are at odds with each other. I say, and I know that you guys say mm-hmm. it's no. When we look at science and we say that, we go, oh, that's how God did it. Exactly. This inclination for our soul to yeah. heal is because God wired it this way. If yeah. we just step into the the way that He wired the universe to work, so. As we dive into this, what are some of those things that you guys talk about here in the book to help us understand our emotions and begin to wrap our, um, uh, I was about to say wrap our hearts around our emotions, but wrap our understanding (laughs) around our emotions? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the first thing that we do is break down. I think what's hard about the soul is you can't see it. Yeah. So if you want to be healthier physically, you can kind of, you have a sense of where you need to start because right. you, you can see where your body is hurting or broken down or needing your care, but it's hard with the soul. So, and you're exactly right, God, but God did wire us um, in a certain way. And so the first thing that we do is break it, break it down into three categories. There's three categories and we'll call them parts. And it's just this idea we're multifaceted and we have three categories of parts to us. And, and, and when I describe them, you know, everybody's like, oh my gosh, yes, exactly. <laughs> so they, what the three categories are, the first one is we all have these manager parts. And the manager parts of us are the parts of us that show up in public. You know, they're the mm-hmm. parts of us that are producing and performing and pleasing and, um, you know, getting us through the day and showing up for school and showing up for work. Um, and they're good parts of us, but they're only one third of the equation. The second part of us that everybody has, um, in the model, it's, they're called firefighters. And what that means is these are escapist parts. And those are the parts of us that kind of want to just shut everything down. They want to numb pain They want to, you know, just, I work hard all day. My managers, you know, the manager side of me makes me want to go to work hard all day. The the firefighter, and it's called firefighter because it's kind of putting out the flame Uh, Mm -hmm. of of difficult emotions, right? Right. And it's like, I'm just going to go home. And you can almost just see it. It's like, I'm just going to turn on the TV and just Mm. drown it all out. Yep. And, 
And I really believe as a society, we live very much between those two. We bounce between overworking and then numbing out. Mm. And, uh, and neither of those are bad. The whole approach is built on the idea that all three of these categories and parts are valuable and important to health. But what happens is when they get extreme, mm. you get problems. And we can talk about that more. But the third part of the equation, the third category that we all have, are these what's called exiles. Mm. And they're called exiles because they're the emotions and the feelings and the beliefs that we want to push away. And they're the pain, they're the vulnerable parts of us. There are fears, our doubts, our insecurities, our um, loneliness, our sorrows, our pain. And they're the parts of us that need us the most. They mm. need God the most. They need community the most. But they're the parts of us that sort of get lost. And they're called exiles for a reason. We shove them aside and we just keep working harder or we check ourselves out yeah. and not actually giving ourselves and those parts of us the care that they need. And so the whole approach is to finding healthy balance between the three. There is a time for work. There is a time to play. There is a time to kind of just let your mind go for a while. Right. And there's a time to really care tenderly for the vulnerabilities and right. for the pain that we right. all have. Yeah. And and that's the the goal is to find that healthy balance internally. So you you mentioned a second ago that when you have when you go to one of the extremes of the manager firefighters there's some some detriment that can happen. Yes. Explain that. If you go to the extreme of the manager, what ends up becoming what comes out of you, what what do you become and then yeah. also as well for the firefighter yeah, so so people who are extremely manager driven, there's a sense in which they're they're these are protective tendencies. Mm. So they're you know you might experience it in someone as very walled off, very guarded. You only ever see their a game. You never really see any vulnerability. Um, it might look like workaholism. Mm. You can kind of map it onto if if you're an Enneagram fan or if your listeners are, are Enneagram fans, you can almost map We're it onto definitely the un- Enneagram <laughs> fans. <laughs> well, that's it. You You've can, listened you to the kinda, podcast enough, Allison. You know, know we are definitely. <laughs> which, by the way, yeah. what are you? What, what's your What's your Enneagram type? I'm a two. Okay, All I'm right. a two. I'm a two with a strong three wing. Okay, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. All right, and it and for me, so in this in this paradigm. So for me, those early years, when I was saying I loved God and I knew how to love others, it was an extreme. My manager was pleasing and helping. Yeah. And it was extreme because I had no clue how to care for my own emotions, my Mm -hmm. own vulnerabilities. And so good things can become extreme. You know, for a three, it's just you're you're so goal oriented and the achievement is all that you know that you're not balancing it out um, in other ways. Um, with being. Same with the perfectionist. <laughs> we, don't, yeah, right? we don't know what that is. They're like, stop doing and being. I'm like, what do you mean being? How do you what just be? Don't, I mean, the way I be is by doing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell yeah. me how to do being. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do I do that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's the, yeah. It's just, and so it can look good, especially yeah. in the church. It doesn't know. It can look really extreme and, and, Bad, but sometimes these man when we get really extremely manager driven, it it might we might even get accolades for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the extreme firefighters show up more when they get really extreme. They show up as n- really numbing. I mean, it can be substance abuse. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it can be um, over shopping. It can be binge watching television. It can be social media. Just anything that kind of checks you out of reality right. and not having to really think about your own life. Um, yeah. It can go, you know, down to, um, you know, any kind of addiction um, that we, you know, that, that you see yep. is, is, mm-hmm. is essentially a part of that person I always say that the more, you know, the more the person is numbing, probably the more pain there is underneath. Yeah. You know, I can see how you can identify these extreme cases in other people. It's it's pretty easy, you know, to look at somebody else and go, okay. I love the categories. Manager, firefighters. Okay, that's an extreme manager. Got, okay. Totally see it in somebody else. Or that's an extreme (laughs) firefighter. The problem is, how do we see it in ourselves? How do we self right how do we come aware of those things yeah. of ourselves because oftentimes you're we're just not very we have very blind spot you know very blind yeah. spotted we don't have yeah. a lot of awareness of ourselves yeah. especially if we're going to talk about the enneagram the 3 yeah so what are some ways that that we can begin to understand wait a minute i might be a little bit out of balance on these things or trending yeah. toward one extreme to the other yeah. Well, typically what happens is these exiled emotions, this third category we've pushed down, they ambush us. Yeah. And and that comes that that shows up differently in different people. Um you know, for for me as a two, it showed up as I'm done. I'm done helping everybody. Mm. <laughs> you know? Because I was just so lonely. It, I I just, you know, it was like I and I was just so run down and, and, it, and it so showed up as kind of burnout in a way. Um, and I just had no choice but to learn, um, you know, for, for others, it shows up like, so for folks who come into my office, just they're overtaken by sadness and by yeah. grief. And it's partly because they didn't, I always talk about grief as you actually need to tend to grief you need to keep tending it. Yeah. If you push it down, it comes out bigger later. Right. And so that's that when there's real extreme cases where somebody's just been through something awful and they just didn't deal with the painful emotions, right. those emotions show up. Mm-hmm. And they show up way bigger right. than if you had kind of just tended to them a little bit all along. Yeah. Um, so that's how I kind of you hope that it doesn't get to that point. Um, but typically that's what happens is you just find yourself um, exhausted or run down or lonely or, and you just can't deny it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I love what you said about this idea of tending to grief, you know, because we work with a lot of people who are grieving as well. And you see people who are, who are uh, grieving in a, um, I would say the proportion of their grief doesn't match the timeline of their grief, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's very exacerbated 20 years down the road. And, it, yeah. and I, I would look at that case as somebody who has like stuffed it and all of a sudden they these emotions have ambushed them. And yet what you are suggesting is the most healthy thing is for us to tend it along the way. And I like this because grief is one of those things that is cyclical. It will crop back up even after you've tended it. Yeah. It comes back again, and yeah. you have to use the same tools <laughs> that yeah. you used before to go, wait, yeah. okay, that kind of hit me out of nowhere. Yeah. I didn't know that was going to trigger that, and and that can happen years down the road, but if you keep tending it a little bit at a time, it doesn't come up as 
exacerbated yes. as what it would have. And it becomes yes. a lot more manageable in some ways. And that's exactly, you're, you're getting right into, so you were asking, how do you know? I mean, the first step is to notice those moments when you're mm. triggered or when you're ambushed. So the first step in the book is called focus. And the idea is a lot of times we notice emotions in response to someone else. We get triggered. We say, you know, that, ugh, right. that just triggers me or that makes me so mad or that just... And what we encourage people to do in the book is use that as an opportunity to notice what's going on inside of you. That's great. Yeah. Right. And so what is that person? And I, I've really worked at this a lot in my life. Like instead of immediately going, what's wrong with that person? Wait, what is that stirring up inside of me? Yeah. Oh, gosh. There's some feeling of insecurity or mm. there's some feeling of uh doubt or or some longing you know i see that they have something and i wish i did so instead of just immediately either you know hating yourself that you feel this way mm. let's say it's envy you know and you're like oh i just shouldn't feel that way it's we say we talk we say focus and it sounds so counterintuitive why would i focus on my negative emotion why would i focus on my envy or my doubt well you focus on it not to stay in it you you focus on it to observe it right. to understand it to see what it's about because it's probably not about that other person. It's probably, it might be a little bit, but it's probably <laughs> more about something inside of you that needs your attention. Mm. And you, so it's really learning to start to pay attention. And, and then the second step that we go into, and it's so great when you're talking about grief is befriend mm. because our first thought is, I just don't want to feel that way. I hate that. I feel that way. Yeah. We have really severe inner critics that, that want to, you know, just, I just shouldn't feel that way. Well, we do. <laughs> you know, I always yep. say to people, well, you do. It just is. Yep. It's not, emotions aren't bad or good in this case. You're, you know, what you do with them can be bad. Right. But in this case, you're just feeling it. It just is. Yeah. So just, and it, and when you notice that kind of negative emotion or something you you don't like or fear or whatever, the friend is just a nice way of saying, just extend some compassion to yourself. Mm. You're feeling it. Yeah. Because we don't change and we don't grow and we don't heal, typically in the context of criticism. Right. That's good. We wow. heal in the context of compassion. And we're the first line of defense in that. We're the first ones that have to extend a little bit of that to ourselves. Yeah. So you, the first step is focus. Second step, befriend. Let me go back to focus real quick because sure. what I love about this is so often we can we can default into blame for our emotions, blaming someone else yep. for the way we're feeling. And that immediately eliminates the ability for us to do something about that emotion. That's right. Because we've now put the onus of that or the responsibility of that onto somebody else. Yep. And you cannot control how somebody is going to react to you or what they're going to say to you or what they're going to do to you. Nope. The only thing you can control <laughs> is what you do with it. And this is yeah. so true. And yeah. so in order to eliminate that blame, I love this. Let go into yourself. Go, okay, why did I feel that way? You know, mm -hmm. why? What is that? What is, it's, it's like an invitation. It's like the Lord is giving that amygdala response inside of us, that physiological response of our heart rate quickening or our like whatever it is that you respond on those things. It's like the Lord's going, hey, I'm inviting you into something here. Yep. You know, this is not like a, I, I, want, I want you to just take a moment. Let's focus on this. Let's see what this is. 
And what's amazing is when you begin to focus on it, it actually physiologically, from what I understand, it actually begins to reverse those responses. Yes, it, there's, there's, it's a process called in, intrapsychic differentiation. But the idea is... So you is have the PhD. You, you can yeah. say what that is. I had no idea. I you're, just, you're, <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. You, you, there's actually in your brain what happens when you focus on it is you, from another part of your brain that's more advanced, the neocortex, you're being present to that amygdala, the emotional yeah. brain. And so all that's happening when you're, you're differentiating from it is you're actually able to get a little distance mm. from it. Yeah. And, and you experience it. You, it, it. Instead of it just sort of consuming you, it's a little bit further out from you. That's why we call it boundaries. Yeah. You know, just like you need to differentiate from other people. You need to see see people as different from yourself. Right. It's the same with these emotions and these parts of ourselves, these thoughts and feelings where they're not all of who you are. Mm. It's just one part of who you are. It feels like all of who you are. And a lot of times when you do that step, when you differentiate, let's say from anger, you'll realize and you'll start to get to know it and realize, you know, a lot of that anger is about what this other person did. But honestly, that anger's been with me for a real long time and mm. it might even go all the way back and I've got a history with that and that's where that invitation comes in where God's like I want to heal more than just this relationship this relationship may not even be the thing I want to heal right this part of you that has been wounded or has been hurt right and teach you to have a really a healthier relationship with it yeah with are, yourself that's exactly right what what are some of those um just for helpful guides for us different people respond to different different things physiologically they have different physiological yeah. triggers some you know anger or but what is the, what are those physical what are the different types of like physiological responses that we might experience that clue us into the fact that wait okay, I'm experiencing some kind of an emotion here. This is an yeah. emotional response. Yeah, it's a great question. When we, we, we lead people through a guided, and I have one on my website. Um, it, it's actually a guided prayer. And the fir- one of the first questions, because w- what we're trying to do is have people do, learn to look inside, which is hard for people. Yeah. And one of the first questions we'll ask is say, you know, notice the emotion, where do you experience it physically? Mm. And the biggest, the, there's a lot of different ones that show up, but often it's tension, yeah. Um, a lot of times it's in the stomach. Anxiety almost surfaces in the stomach, knots in the stomach. Mm. Um, so, sometimes um, people who are think, real hard thinkers, you know, they'll experience it as pain in the brain, mm. um, tight shoulders, clenched jaw, clenched fists. You know, you can almost see it. Right. And 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 then it's, and you can kind of map it onto the fight flight response, right? The mm. fight is you know the the tension and the clenching. And the fight is the, you know, the butterflies in the stomach that are making me want to just run. Hmm. And so again, you're, you're kind of that the first, that's one of the first questions asked, where do you notice it physically? And then, and for some people that's really helpful for, and then the next question is, you know, can you, can you imagine it almost that, you know, and this is a really interesting one for folks who are more creative. They'll be like, yeah, I, I, it's almost like it's this lava, you know, yeah. coming out of, yeah. you know, the core of me. And it's like, okay, you know, and it's, again, you're starting that process of differentiating it. Mm. Um, and then another one, and then the other to try to access the thoughts is, you know, is, is there anything it's saying? And it it's kind of sounds funny because it's not like you're 
but we all have self-talk. Yeah, right. You know, and so, they're, they're, you know, people say, yeah, it's almost like it's just saying, you know, you're such a bad person. Mm. You know, they'll, they'll kind of be aware of that inner voice or that yep. inner dialogue. And again, you're trying to become, increase the awareness of that to go, okay, do you notice that's what's going on inside? Mm. All that's going on inside of you, you know, and your body just went like this. Right, right. And all of that was what was going on. And so you're trying to really slow down that moment yeah. to see what's really underneath it all. Hey friends, I wanna take a quick break here to make sure you know that you can hear more from Allison on our August bonus episode. For our $5, $10, or $20 a month partners in August, you can access this episode to hear Allison talk more about this topic of emotions and boundaries, but specifically how they play out in relationships with other people. We all have people in our lives that can be difficult to deal with, so this episode will be helpful to so many. You can head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and sign up to make a monthly tax-deductible donation of $5 or more to access this and all the other bonus episodes we have. Before we dive back into our current conversation with Allison, listen to a short clip from her bonus episode that will release the first week of August. So for example, if I have someone in my office very frustrated with a spouse, with her husband, I hate it that he always does this, or he's always this way. He's so angry. And it's a subtle reframe to go to say something to the effect of, you know, a part of him has a temper. It's mm. not all of who he is. Or a part of her can be, seem needy at times. It's not all of who she is. And when you begin to see through that lens, it shifts from criticizing the whole person to recognizing this person I love or this person, you know, who's in my life has a part of their soul, a part of their personality that is hard for me. So number two, this idea of befriending, you mentioned a second ago, um, about how oftentimes we begin to adopt an identity out of our one, maybe one emotion that we're feeling. It's like, yes. uh, so I'm feeling this. So I, and so instead of saying, I feel sad, it's, I am sad. And it becomes the all encompassing of what we are. I imagine this idea of befriending your emotions, so to speak, mm -hmm. begins to help us to, um, differentiate a little bit better. Explain, explain this concept of, you know, this adopting this, this singular identity based on our emotions. Yeah. It, yeah. It's such a, you're saying it so well. And I see it all the time. You know, people say I'm depressed and say a part of you is experiencing hmm. deep depression. And maybe it feels like a big part of you, but it's not all of who you are. Yeah. Um, and, and we know this because who we really are. So now we're getting at, so I told you the three categories and, 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 we're, we have many different emotions at one time. I mean, even anger oftentimes results in sadness or is mm. linked to pain, right? So um, th th these are just emotions are experienced by parts of us. But what's really at the core of who you are, and I love to say this to people because they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but is, and in the book, what we call it 
is the spirit led self, but is the, you are made in the image of God. Mm. And at your core, so I always see my work as just kind of peeling back the layers because really who you are is a person, you know, you're Davy, you know, you're Christy, you're Allison, and you are a glorious being made in the image of God, mm. whose p- parts of you, who's taken on some heavy burdens, yeah. who's had some hard things happen to you. And so you're experiencing yourself as an angry person or as mm. a depressed person or as a bad person. But that's just a part of you that's gotten, you know, maybe kicked around what it, for whatever right. reason. It's right. not who you are. Yeah. And so that that knowledge that, at your core, there is a self yeah. that is in, in Christian terms, that's what we call it, the spirit-led self is whole. Right. <laughs> right. You know, you were made actually to be whole. It's just that we have a whole lifetime to, yeah. to kind of sort out what that looks like. Yeah. How to get kind of in some ways back to the image of God or yeah. back to this place that we were intended to be it's people call it the true self you know or the the but but that's there is a sense in which that's who you are and part of your job is to be healing these parts of you in partnership with god that have taken on these burdens that you know i'm i'm just sad i'm just a sad person right well this is you know that mean when we think about the doctrine of Christianity, it's an identity issue that Jesus solves for us on the cross and the empty tomb. So when we are, when we are saved, he's going, Hey, I'm adopting you right here as my son and daughter. You are not this anymore. You are this. So it's an identity issue first. And yet at the same time, we don't automatically from the outside become that. (laughs) It's not like, (laughs) Whoa, there we are. You know, you look at this story of the children of Israel. They're rescued out of Egypt. They're they're now, God says, I will make you my people. You will be mine, right? So he's made them into a nation of his own, but he sends them on a journey for 40 years, wandering around the wilderness. Um, And he's he's trying to help them get get an identity uh, that is whole with him. Yeah. Yeah, you're 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 exactly right. You you have we you know the whole first three chapters is we're trying to build up. It's the whole, what it, what does it mean? We that the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Yeah, wow. And that at the center of you, Henry Nowen talks about it. Um, Cloud and Townsend talk about it. Different Christian psychologists have talked about this idea that there is at the center of us a space. Yeah. Where the Holy Spirit resides, where we have what it takes, and it's not that it's magic. Yeah. It requires some work, but we do have what it takes to lead. And that's what I like about this idea of these parts of us yeah. that are almost like little children. They're stuck <laughs> back, you know, they've been hurt and they're kicking in the sandbox and they're mad, but they're really good parts of us. Wow. They just need that leadership that we can provide because of who Jesus is in us. Wow. Um, this, and so you're, this, it's a tender way of being with yourself. It's a more compassionate way of being with yourself. Yeah. This is like the, uh, is it the Pixar mo- Disney movie? Which yes, one? Dream yes, of- yes. Inside Out? Yeah. That's so, so funny. So the, the Inside Out movie was actually loosely based on this model of therapy. 
It's called okay. internal family systems. And wow. and what they're what what the guy who developed it realized is we're sort of like a little family. Mm-hmm. Our thoughts and feelings are sort of like this little family within us that we have to learn to parent. Yeah. And so just wow. like a family, they're they're you know, families have to figure out how to create a space. We were talking about this early. Family systems therapy helps families go. There has to be an, a a healthy role yep. for each member of the family so that there's harmony. And if mm. if a fa- if one member of the family is really causing trouble and is taking over, that's not healthy. Yep. But if if another part of the fa- member of the family is getting sidelined, you've got to work to make sure every member of the family, and the bigger the family, the harder that is. Well, yeah. we have a little family inside of us. And that's what that movie depicts <laughs> so well. And they're valuable. And then we always, my Kim and I, when we were going through the book, we're like that. They don't show that really at the headquarters is the self, is the spirit, yeah. the Holy Spirit led self. Right. Wow. Leading, you know, all the different thoughts and feelings just to kind of, um, to harmony and wholeness. Yeah, man. Okay. So number one's focus. Number two is befriend. Is there a step three then? Yeah. So there's five total. Step three is to invite, this is kind of, we were getting into this, um, invite Jesus yeah, to draw okay. near. And so really we're just encouraging people. So if you have to show compassion toward the feeling you're having, mm. even the feeling you don't like. And, and so you're connecting to that part of you with compassion and then inviting Jesus to be with that part of you because we know Jesus comes in with compassion. Right, right. And so just a lot of times people, depending on how they were raised or their experience, have this idea of, I've got to fix myself before I can go to God, or mm. I have to pray this emotion away. When really it's like, again, it's this whole idea of God, I don't know why. It's, we, we talk a lot about curiosity, getting yeah. curious about it. Oh, that's so and good. And so it's, it, talking to God about it, instead of like, oh God, just make my anger go away. I mean, it doesn't, you know, but God, here's that anger again. Yeah. I see it. Here it yeah. is. You know, it's like you're holding it out to him. Show me what I, it's like you said, it's that invitation. What, show me, teach me about it. What's right. going on with it? And so, and there's all these steps we'll take you through in the book because some of this might be related to past hmm. wounds. Um, some of it might be present. So that's the invite step is really inviting God into your emotions wow. and into your thoughts that you know aren't true, but you still are carrying them for some reason. So just, you've got this, you know, resource of saying, show me. Yeah. Um, I, that, that idea of curiosity. I love that. I'm reading a book right now. It's not a Christian book by any means, but it's, it's one that's fairly popular right now. Principles by Ray Dalio. Oh yeah. I've and heard he, that. I read it. he talks about uh, you know, he's listing out all of his life principles and all of his like work principles. And in life principles, he talks about this difference between being open-minded and closed-minded. And he says the key to being open-minded and the indicator of someone who is open-minded is someone who is curious. Yeah. Someone who is humble enough to recognize, yes. I don't know everything. Yeah. And so I need to invite other people's you know, observations and other people's opinions into this. And I'm curious. So I'm going to ask a lot of questions. Exactly. Um, whereas someone who is closed minded is defined by someone who is uh, making, you know, uh, statements, declarative statements all the time of their, of their own opinions or whatever. And this is what you're talking about. This idea of curiosity is saying, Hey God, <laughs> I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah. And, um, and so to help me understand this, help me to, and, and you ask questions of God, which opens up your heart and opens up your, 
your soul to be able to, um, to, to experience the healing that he wants to bring in that. Exactly. And so we have, like at the end of each chapter, we have a list of questions as you're working through an emotion. And then we, at the end of the book, we put them all together in one long exercise. So let's say anger, for example, you know, you've, you're getting curious about it and then you invite God. So what's interesting with, with the step of invite is you're, you're noticing how does my anger respond to God? Because, mm. and again, you're getting curious, no judgment, you know, that it's, it's right. maybe your anger is like, I don't like God. God yeah. didn't. And, and you love God, but this part of you mm. is like, God let me down. He did not protect me. Yeah. And, and you, you get really interesting information. It's like, all right, that's good to know. <laughs> this part of me is kind of angry at God. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and again, it's, again, that's how we start to heal. If, right. if you don't, if you pretend like that doesn't exist and even God, you invite God, okay, so what, and then you kind of ask, you know, you kind of negotiate with yourself. So what would, what fears mm. does this angry part of me have about what if it were to let God in? Yeah. And what what does it need to know from God that you know what scriptures come to mind or what does it need to know from God to feel sick, to feel you know and you're sort of facilitating this relationship really between a, <laughs> a very stubborn part of you. Yeah. And God, and then there are other parts of you that'll be like, "Oh, I you know, I love God and I'm just so grateful he's here and he just takes all my fears right. away." You know, but right. but I always get a kick out of those ones that um are real honest. They're like, yeah. that part of me does not like, you know, is, doesn't feel like God was really there for me back then when that hard thing happened. And yeah. it's like, all right, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it almost sounds like you guys are teaching people how to be counselors for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is amazing. It's fascinating. It is this idea of like, I mean, here it is again, you're taking every thought captive and making a slave to Christ. Exactly. You're not allowing your emotions to dominate you. You're, you're, differentiating. I love that word differentiating. I think I used the word the other day from somebody disassociating. That would not be a good idea is to disassociate. Yeah. That's more of an extreme <laughs> type instance of this where you're no longer a part of what's happening, but differentiating those two things, it's great. It's, um, it's, it's make, it's, it's you recognizing, okay, what's the truth in the matter of this? What's the, the bedrock truth of God's word and how yeah. it interacts with my emotion and yeah. also recognizing this is okay that, that, that I, that there's a part of me that is frustrated and angry at God. He can take it. He can do like, that's, he's not intimidated by that. Not at um, all. And you then, then when you, as you differentiate from the emotion, what happens is instead of speaking or acting from it, you speak on behalf of it. Mm. And so you're able to say, let, let's say you're angry, you know, with God. maybe you can say, you know, there's a part of me that is angry with God. All of a sudden you can talk about it in a way with your community that is genuine. Right. Or let's say you're mad at another person, you know, let's say in marriage, you know, there's a part of me that gets angry when this happens and I'm not sure why and I don't know what's you and what's me. But that's going to go over so much better than if you're saying from your anger, you know, right. I'm just so angry at you. And right. so that differentiation gives you just a little distance to speak on behalf of your emotions mm. in a much more constructive way way while you're still honoring them, but you're not allowing them to harm or hurt yourself or others. Yeah. And I, I know that I love what you said about becoming your own counselor, because I think so many of us haven't 
like the more you do this work, it really helps. You, you, yeah. you become more, you learn to trust yourself. You learn to not fear your emotions. Yeah. Um, you learn that you can, um, and, and you really do have a sense, and it's, it's a, a sense of strength that isn't coming from a facade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's coming from within, and, and I just see this change people's lives, and they realize, oh my gosh, I'm not a wreck. I'm not... Right. Um, I can do a lot of this. And sometimes you need someone to come alongside of you. Um, but there's a lot of this work. If you can, if you're willing, you can, you can mm. really learn to do yourself. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't, you didn't ask me to do this, um, <laughs> but I'm not going to ask you about four and five. And here's why, okay. because I want the listener to go pick up your book. All right. I want them to go and read the, <laughs> read it for themselves. Because yeah. if they want to find out what four and five is, I want to take a hard right turn because I just okay. happen to know some certain things about your life and how they kind of integrate with my life, different similarities that yeah. we have. And I want to I want to see how some of this stuff even overlays with that. Yeah. So you told me that when you met your husband, he was a widower. And I'm just yes. super curious about this. Sorry, listener, if you're listening to this, this is just my own therapy right here. <laughs> I want to know just as you guys were coming together um, what was that? What was that like? Did he already have kids? Was there a blending of the family? Was it? What was that scenario like? And then, how have you seen um, his journey of healing? Uh, how do I ask this? Um, kind of overlay with some of these things that you're teaching in this book. Yeah, I mean, I yes, when I met my now husband, he had two young children. And those are my my children now. I mean, our story is very um, redemptive in the sense of I was a woman without a family, and um, he, you know, here was a family without a mom. Without Their mom a, had wow. passed away, and we sort wow. of found each other. Um, and so, and when, you, when you say you were a woman without a family, what do you? Mean I didn't have children, okay. and I I hadn't been married, and I was we, I met my husband when I was in my mid thirties. Yeah. So there was just this sort of a lot of things were like, wow, God, you know, I think of the verse where God, God sets, um, sets the lonely in families, God sets the orphans in families, you know, where he, he brings people together. And, and when you come together, you know, as you know, Davey, and so much of what we've been talking about does play in because you have Mm -hmm. to create space for a lot of different experiences. Right within the family and each, each person is experienced things, experiencing different emotions and the emotions don't always, um, completely coordinate. Mm. Um, you know, so when you're loving somebody who let's say has grief from loss, you know, you, they need to tend their grief. And part of my job is to hold space for that grief. Yeah. And then I have my own emotions that I bring into that. So, you know, our journey has been um, rich. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Mm. Um, I wouldn't trade my family for anything. And I say that, though, cautiously, because I would never want to imply, you know, you hold different things. I wouldn't, at the same time, at the end of the day, I want for my kids to have their mom. Right. Yeah, and that's okay to hold that intention. Yeah, you know, I think we've said this before on the podcast, but I heard Elizabeth Elliot say, "I would never have asked for this, but I also wouldn't trade it 
for the world. Yes. Because, and, and it's okay to hold those things in tension. I think sometimes yeah. we are so adamant about explaining things so much that it's like, oh no, we're not okay with the tension of, man, this really sucks that, you know, their mom passed away and his first, but at the same time, what God has done out of this yes. is so rich and beautiful. And we would have never experienced the richness of the Lord if that had not happened. So how do you, <laughs> and therein lies this, it's, this reason why it's so important to hold those emotions in tension and differentiate. Exactly. And I think for those of us, I love, I've seen some of the posts that you've done honoring your wife and, mm. and how you talk about this unique role she's fulfilled. And I think you're talking about it so well, because for those of us who've had a different path toward marriage and family, we are sort of in a way, I mean, we're articulating emotions and articulating complexities that a lot of people right. have to hold. <laughs> right. Um, and it's, you can, and it's beautiful. And yeah. I wouldn't want it any other way, you know, and you don't, and part of it is creating space for all the different, um, the different stories and, yeah. and the different emotions. So, wow. my husband did a great job just on grief, um, when I met him, I loved, loved how he would talk about he's more of a, a math brain. He's more of an engineer. And he would talk about talk to the kids about, is your sadness big, li, uh, big, medium, or little? Mm. And, and just those simple categories would be like, if it's little, okay, great. It, little's okay. You know, yeah. so you can, you can, if it's big, let's, you know, and it just, it just even, and it's so funny because it's dealing with kids, you're just helping them categorize. Because to them, right. when the emotion comes out, it can just feel catastrophic. But they right. can actually, when you at, you're helping them differentiate. That's so good. So look at the emotion. Is it? And then, and then the, oh yeah, it's just little. I'm okay. Okay, yeah. great. You know? And, and it's really the truth. You know, I'll even do this with clients. I'll be like, the emotion is sounding really big right now. Is it mm. really big? <laughs> yep. You know, and you kind of do that reality testing. So that was one thing that we as a family kind of adop adopted this helping each other. You know, if it's little, great. We'll just kind of keep going with what, what the plans are. If it's big, right. we'll, we'll do something else, you know. Um, wow. So we, we, we try to do little things like that to create ways to talk about emotions and that make it easier. Yeah. Can you, off the top of your head, I know I'm putting you on the spot, can you think <laughs> of any other things that you guys did to try to help your kids communicate? Because I think that's something we're recognizing and realizing now is trying to figure out ways to give them language to help them communicate emotions. You've got Natalia, our daughter, who's gone through... Um, trauma of her own right in the sense that she's, you know, living in co-parenting situations with her dad and with us and yeah. divorce situation. And then you've got Weston who's definitely experienced trauma of losing his primary caregiver at 18 or 15 months old Yeah, and then going through multiple caregivers. And so we've seen emotional responses out of them and we're going, how do we help them to do exactly what you're talking about in differentiating themselves from their emotions, putting a label on it, understanding yes. those emotions are there, are there any other tips that you would give us? I'm sure there's tons of parents out there that are trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah, know? I mean, the, the biggest ones that are the ones you just said is getting, you know, even getting curious with your kids. I'm curious mm. about that. Can we put a name on it? And with little kids, you know, you can use the the faces. <laughs> yep, I mean, they really work. Are, they do, it's so they funny. Do. Oh, that's, you know. Yep. Okay. And then, um, and then the other thing that 
um, with kids that I talk to parents about, maybe when they're a little bit older, you'll start to see some of the manager behaviors. And what I mean by that is you'll, you might start to see your kids. I'll give you an example. I had a friend whose daughter was really getting anxious and stressed and showing real perfectionistic tendencies. Mm. She's like in you know first grade about her homework. And they kept trying to reason with her, but it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, it's like right. they were trying to do everything they could. And and really, I and so I just said to her, I said, and so this is this is the little kid said, befriend the protector. So something that was going on there was protector. Mm. I said, so I said, stop trying to talk her out of it and validate it. Mm. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, I see that it's really important to you. You want this to be perfect. Yeah. I don't quite get it, but I, I want to honor that. Will you let me? And, and it's like she said she tried it and her daughter's anxiety just went. Wow. And so just noticing when your kids are doing something that's like, what are they, you know, like. Try to instead of talking them out of it, yeah. try to kind of come alongside them. Man. And 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 I see that this seems important to you. Yep. Yeah. Because it's amazing how it'll just sort of, and, and it's not like you want them to stay there. Let's talk about it. But you first have to befriend the protector, you know, right. befriend that emotion or whatever it is to gain their trust yep. until they'll let you into what's going on underneath, which is much, usually much more vulnerable. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. This is like a whole nother topic of not only just understanding your emotions, but how to come alongside somebody else. Yeah. And, and doing this thing, you know, what you just said, validate. Yeah. Those emotions, which is such an important skill to learn when it comes to any kind of interpersonal relationships. Yeah. But marriage, parenting, yep. friendship, to recognize, wait a minute, um, there is a, there is a, uh, let me seek to understand yeah. what you're feeling. And then all yeah. of a sudden you're right. What you just, what you said, you, you will witness their anxiety or their anger or some, whoever just, that other person is just whoo, completely yep. subside. Yeah. And you can actually get underneath it. You can have a real rich conversation. Yeah. Um, now, if both people are committed to that, it in marriage, it works really, really well. It's really hard if one person, yeah. you know, and so that this is the kind of thing where we kind of have to help it because that that it really um, helps grease the skids in marriage for yeah. sure. Yeah, is when you can just pause long enough. The other thing I would just throw in here, so we talk about this in the book, but there are qualities of the spirit-led self. And what's interesting to me, this guy who discovered this model came up with what's called like five C's and three P's, and they mirror the fruit of the spirit. Hmm. And it's so interesting, you know, I'm like, isn't that, but one of the ones he, he uses the word playfulness. And I think you mean, it's like joy, but I love the idea of playfulness. So we use humor a lot yeah. in our family. And I, it's just, you know, it just occurred to me in the midst of all this talking about emotions, because I do with emotions, when you're differentiated from them, it allows you to hold them a little lightly. Right. And not, and that's also a goal with kids is like, you want to honor them and validate them enough. Right. But there's also a point where, when there's enough trust where it's like, do we really need to be angry yeah. right now? You know, yeah. and there's a little bit of the quality of playfulness when you've earned that trust and you can come alongside of somebody, whether it's a spouse or a child, that's just a, it's just a lovely, I do believe it's like the fruit, of, it's a fruit of the spirit. It's right. probably joy, but where you can, you're not taking yourself as seriously mm. because you're, you're at the end of the day, you know, that 
this person loves you, that you're okay. Right. right. And that's that's just a really we we've used that a lot in our family as we've built trust, you know, yeah. a lot of just playfulness around um and boy that does a lot. Oh yeah. A lot well, of a safe environment for you yeah. to be able to like what you said, have the space. Yes. to begin to figure out what these emotions are. Yeah. I, I feel like that the year and a half of Christy and I being married, um, it's just been in the past four to six months that we've begun to realize that about, about ourselves. You know, we got married in a climate where it was, there was just, it was craziness. I mean, she yeah. was in PA school. And so we were surviving. We were blending a family. It was just absolute nuts. And so we, we almost didn't have enough space to even take some time and go, hey, what are we, like, what is this, this blending of this family, this complexity that's happening, let's be okay with the emotions that we're feeling. Yes. And so even though, you know, we've both gone through trauma, both gone through counseling, both learned these skills, all of a sudden yes. we might mash them together <laughs> and we just co- totally forget about the skills. And it's yeah. like, and so then things can get, you know, elevated, things can get heightened or feel bigger than what they are. And And, and it's just been in the past six months or so that we realized, wait a minute, let's Let's practice understanding and validation and make this just a safe place for our family to to acknowledge our emotions and be okay with feeling those things. Yeah. You know? Totally. And and it's but it's amazing how how quickly you forget that when things begin to get high stressed and you're go, go, go on certain things. And so Yeah. And you're bringing in all these different when you bring more people into the family, you're bringing every each one of you has a family of emotions, and then you got to bring in all of them (laughs) together. You know, we we you know, there's fun fun little things you can do. Different people do it differently, but you can as that as you create that safety, you can also you know you can you can say we talk about the book taking a U turn. Like I need to take a U turn, which means I got to deal with my own emotions right now. I don't even know (laughs) what they are. Push pause on this. Yeah, yeah, I got to take a time out. Yep. You know, and, yep. and and just and the and the, the space for that to be okay. That's great. You know? Yeah, that's so good. Man, Allison, this has been wonderful. We could sit here. I know we could sit here and talk about this all day long. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, so tell us how can we follow what's going on with you guys. Tell us a little bit about where can folks pick up the book? Where can they get connected to you? Um, the book is everywhere. You can get it on Amazon or um, Barnes and Noble. It's online everywhere. My website is um, allisoncookphd.com. And I have lots of resources. I have a lot of free resources um, some that go along with the book, just different ones. I sent out sort of a reflection on it. Right now I'm doing a series on boundaries with emotions. Um, and we just did anger. And then we're, I did fear and, you know, just kind of yeah. engaging folks and asking them what, what they want to hear about. So um, that's kind of the place to find all the things that I'm doing. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, And, and the book is called Boundaries for Your Soul. We'll make yep. sure we put st- all this info up on this particular episode's page on our website too, so people can access it pretty easily. Great. But Allison, can we do this again? Uh, Let's do I'd it love again. to. Yeah. This would be so much fun. We'll definitely... There's very few interviews where I'm like, we need to talk again. But I'm like full of, I've got so many things we could talk about. Let's do it again for sure. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us. What'd you think, Mel? 
I thought it was such a good episode. I yeah. had a pen and paper and I was just <sighs> jotting down all these things that I could take away and so just want to think about more. Wow. So many good things. And um, you know what's really cool is we're working on some things with Allison right now to try to bring her on more often. So that would be gonna wonderful. Be, I mean, she's just got so much insight. So we're not sure exactly what that looks like. Um, but stay tuned because we've just kind of had some off the cuff conversations with her. We're just really excited about kind of maybe starting a little bit of a, a loose partnership with what she does. It's so cool. Yes, so Allison, cool. we would love to have you back. Um, <laughs> so again, the book is Boundaries for Your Soul. Boundaries for Your Soul. Uh, you should definitely go pick that up anywhere that you can buy books. Amazon, um, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, all of those great places. Boundaries yep. for Your Soul. Yeah, and um, if you have a good story or just want to share how God has been working in your life, email us at hello at nothingiswasted.com. Uh, we also want to thank Ryan at Sleeping at Last. Thank you so much for providing the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download his music at iTunes or any place that music can be downloaded. Um, so thank you, Ryan. Yeah. And before we sign off, listen to this little teaser from next week's episode of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. It started when we went through security. We hadn't flown for a long time. And, you know, I was kind of being the mama and taking care of the kids, you know, like, okay, yeah. guys, you know, getting through security. And I turn back and I hear the metal detector going off. And there's Kurt walking through, holding one shoe, one shoe on his foot, his keys in his pocket, his belt half undone. And he just couldn't, there was too much happening going through security oh. and he could not process it. And it was kind of at that moment, and we held up security that day. Yeah. And it was on that trip when I really became aware, hey, you know, something's wrong.